since we're going to talk about how to study the Bible, I'll tell you a little bit about how I learned. I came to know the Lord back in my senior year of high school, and they often would tell me, like, okay, you've got to read the Bible. You know, quiet time was a word that was thrown around a lot, and I knew I had to do it. It was expected of me, but I had no idea what I was doing, right? So I'm like, okay, the Bible is a book, so let me start in the beginning, like a normal book, right? So I started Genesis, and I'm reading through, and while the stories are super interesting, I have no idea how this connects back to the Jesus I had just met. What do these stories have to do with that? I had no idea. So I'm like, okay, let me try a different method. I tried the fortune cookie approach where I would just open it and start reading whatever caught my eye. I'm like, let's see what God has for me today, right? Holy Spirit, guide me. And um, while I did, then that got me in different parts of the Bible. I had no context for what I was reading. I had no idea, you know, really where did this fit in in the whole story of the Bible, no idea of, like, um, no depth into, like, God's character or even Jesus is, like, how his life, death, and resurrection affected my life. And so, consequently, little depth in my Bible reading fed into little depth in my prayers. And ultimately, I fell into the lie that this has to be for the more spiritually mature, right? It wasn't until seven years later that I got over my embarrassment of asking, and I started asking, how do I properly do this? Like, you know, how do I have this make sense? Um, and so that's why we're here. So like that, you guys don't spend the next seven years wandering around like I did. Honestly, that is the exact opposite of what our elders hope for. There, our elders' desires to equip their congregation to flourish in their relationship with the Lord whether you've just gotten to know him or whether you've been walking with him for many years, right? Part of our mission as a church is to make, mature, and mobilize disciples of Christ. We do this by following the command in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, where Jesus says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So that, again, that's why we're here. Over the next four Saturdays, interchanging between Kristen and I, we're going to give you the tools to read the Bible on your own, pray in dependence and praise to God, grow alongside other Christians, and teach you how to share your faith. Again, the expectation is, or the hope is, that as you grow in these habits, you'll be able to then help others grow in theirs. Much of what I'm going to share here with you guys today, I've learned from either Kristen or Danelle, right? They were faithful to teach me, and so now I'm, through the, hope, the power of the Holy Spirit, hopefully going to pass it on to you, and so the cycle of making disciples will continue. So, again, today we're going to be focusing on hearing, God, hearing God's voice through the reading of the Word, and we're going to do this by answering three questions. You have them there on your worksheet. We're going to be answering, what is the Bible? Why should I read the Bible? And how do I study the Bible? If you need a handout, we have them right here on the chair. If you need a pencil, we have uh, pencils provided for you there as well. But feel free to follow along and take notes, mark anything up, um, and stop me if you have any questions. Okay, so what is the Bible? What, this book, why is it so important? Why does everybody keep telling me to read it? We're going to find out together, right? So the Bible, 
is a collection of writings that are uniquely inspired by God and authoritative. That is your first fill in the blank. The Bible is uniquely inspired by God and authoritative. While it is one unified book, the Bible is also a compilation of 66 smaller books or literary works. These books have been produced by over 40 different men across thousands of years of historical time, different backgrounds, different personalities, different cultures. However, although it was written by all these men across all this time, all the words of Scripture are God's words inspired by the Holy Spirit. So we see, um, if you would please, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Timothy 3. We're going to see this um, spelled out in Scripture itself from one of the letters uh, from Paul to Timothy. So in 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17, we see Paul write, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Again, if we break this down now, what this means that scripture is, one, inspired, because it's God-breathed, right? So if it's God-breathed, it's inspired by God, by the Holy Spirit. Infallible, meaning it's incapable of having a mistake or being wrong. It's trustworthy. We can trust what's there. It's inerrant. Again, no errors. It's revelatory. It shows, it reveals God's nature, God's character, God's plans and will for our life. It's authoritative. Because it's written by God, it is to be obeyed. And lastly, it's sufficient. We learn from the words of 2 Peter 1 that it gives us all we need for life and godliness. Everybody tracking with me so far? Right? Okay. So the Bible isn't just a list of laws or individual books, although again, it is made up of 66 different books, but it's a story. It's honestly the greatest story ever told from cover to cover. Um, The the main arc is divided into four sections that we call the meta-narrative, right? And we begin in Genesis. We begin in Genesis with creation. That's what you'll see there, and you're filling the blanks, these next four uh, major Bible story arcs. In creation, we see that God was there in the beginning, and God created the universe and everything in it, including man and woman in his own image. And man and woman walked with God, and everything was perfect in perfect harmony. Then we have the fall. That's the second story arc. Adam and Eve, the first humans, disobeyed God and ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And in that rebellion, they introduced sin into the world. And every person after Adam is now born into sin. And we learn in Romans that the consequences of sin is death. Right? So the rest of the Old Testament, we're awaiting a Messiah to come save us from this um, condemnation. Then we have redemption. The New Testament kicks off, and we have the books of the gospel. We see here God sends his son, Jesus, 
to live the life that we cannot live and die the death that we deserve, right, as payment for our sin. Then he, uh, once he dies, he resurrects on the third day and ascends into heaven. Now he's our advocate between us and God the Father, right, so that all who would put their faith in him would then have eternal life and find forgiveness in him. And then we await, we await the last story, part of the story, the restoration. We're waiting for Jesus to return once again, and this time defeat sin and death once and for all. We're waiting a time where we'll be with him in the new heavens and the new earth and have that perfect harmony again that we had in the beginning back in Eden, the Garden of Eden. So that is the major story of the whole Bible, right? Creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. We read the Bible in light of this greater story, right? And we need to know where we fit in into that, which is right in between redemption and restoration, right? Jesus has come, but we're awaiting his second coming. We know from the gospel story that everything we have is a gift of grace. We cannot earn God's grace or make it flow apart from his free gift. But we can position ourselves in a way to receive more of him. We position ourselves by reading his word, praying, and being in fellowship with other believers. That's why these habits of grace are so vital to the Christian life. So that is why we read the Bible. Any, any questions so far on the Bible? Or, good, we're tracking, okay. So we understand now why the Bible is so important. But really, why should we read the Bible? Parts, here's our second question we're going to answer. The fact that this book even exists is evidence that God, the God of the universe who created everything in it, is a gracious communicator, and he delights in revealing himself to us, right? Us, sinful, wayward humans that are constantly rebelling against him. We see this evidence in Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2, where it says, In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. So through Scripture, and by the help of the Holy Spirit, is now how we have, has, it's how God has chosen to speak to us now and during this time. The purpose of the Bible is to offer all those who read it the forgiveness of God in Christ and receive eternal life in relationship with him. We see this stated in John 17, 3. When Jesus prays to the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. We can't personally know God if we don't know his character and the way he's revealed himself through his word. So that's why it's important to read it. The ultimate purpose, if you're filling in that blank, here's this point. The ultimate purpose of building habits of grace is not to learn how to check a box or do this to do. It's to be in relationship with and enjoy Christ. That is the ultimate purpose, to be in relationship with and enjoy Christ. Think about the important relationships in your life, right? With your friends, your family, your mom, your dad, whoever. You genuinely enjoy hanging out and spending time and getting to know and connect with one another, right? 
The time always looks different. Sometimes you spend a weekend together. You go on vacation. Sometimes it's fast. It's a phone call. Again, but you're constantly spending time with one another, connecting with one another in different ways. It's the same with God. We grow in relationship with him over meaningful time spent hearing him and his word. So, in light of that, now we know what the Bible is, why it's so important to read it. Now we're going to kick into how do we study the Bible. So here's where we're going we're gonna to get fun. We're going to do some exercises. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to begin with uh, noting. Reading, there's two different ways that we can approach this. Reading and studying the Bible are two different things and have two different purposes, right? So when I say reading, I literally mean just reading. We're just reading the Bible, right? We usually read for um, longer stretches of Scripture, right, so that we know what it says. It's for, more for knowledge. Like, what does this big book say? We're just reading it. Usually you see people do this through, like, a Bible in a year plan um, where they're reading longer stretches. So we have a wide range of knowledge but little depth. Studying, we take smaller portions of scripture and then we go in depth into them, right? We do this more to understand what does a passage mean more than what does it just say. We usually, again, take smaller passages and we dig a little a bit deeper into them. Both reading and studying are good and the Lord uses them to make us into the image of Christ. But today, for this purpose, we're gonna dig a little bit into what studying looks like, right? So these are the tools that we're, I'm going to hand you today. First and foremost, just like we did today, we begin with prayer. That's your first fill in the blank for how do we study the Bible. We begin with prayer. It's a humble acknowledgement that we cannot do anything, especially find the meaning of Scripture, apart from the help and grace of God. Because of the work of Christ, we have the Holy Spirit to help us understand the truth of God's word. His illumination allows us to find the meaning of scripture. We often see this modeled through Paul to the letters of, to the churches that he's writing to. And so for the next couple points, we're going to use Ephesians as an example. So if you would turn with me to Ephesians 1. We're, and then keep your Bible open there because we're going to use this for the rest of the time. So in Ephesians, again, Paul is writing to the Ephesian church. And where we're going to pick off right now, he has just explained to them all the spiritual blessings that they have in Christ. So in light of all the spiritual blessings and the response, the Ephesians' response to this, Paul then picks up in verse 16 where he says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, Remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. We'll stop right there. We see here Paul modeling the example of prayer and asking the Holy Spirit to give the Ephesian church 
the wisdom to reveal three things, right? Who he is, we see that in verse 17. The hope to which he has called us to, which he previously stated in the uh, verses before, verse 18. And the riches of his glorious inheritance. So we can take this example and model it for ourselves as well. We also pray and acknowledge that we need the Holy Spirit to reveal God's word and God's character and God's power and grace to us, especially as we come to his word. Right. So after we've prayed, then we're going to get into study mode. Right. So there's a lot of different methods that you can use to read the Bible. Today I'm only going to give you one, right? just one. Um, and again, you can use it, you could try something else, but we're going to look at one that has, that's, uh, it's an acronym called COMA, C-O-M-A, right? So we're going to take this step by step. The first one, C, stands for context. When we approach a book of the Bible, we want to look for its context, meaning its background. You're going to ask yourself questions that you see there on your sheet, like, who wrote the book? To whom was it written? When was it written? Like, don't think, you know, sometimes you can find the date, but other times, like, where does it fit into the meta narrative? Are they waiting for Jesus? Have they already known Jesus? Are they waiting for the restoration? Know where it fits into the timeline. What is the genre? And why was it written? I will say that for some of these questions, you may need to use some resources to help you figure these things out. So a good resource would be like a study Bible, if you have one. Usually in the beginning of a study Bible, there is um, a section, like a page or two, where it gives you some background, again, on what was happening at the church and at that time, and with the author, um, why was he writing. You kind of get the answers to all of these things. But sometimes you could also find it within the pages of Scripture. I have provided for you on that sheet, on the back, a list of references Again, so if you feel like, hey, I don't have a study Bible, what do I do? Well, you have other options. Um, that's not an exhaustive list. It's just some of the more popular ones. Again, if you use something different, feel free to ask us. Ask our elders, ask me, ask your friends, and we'll be able to tell you if that's a reliable resource or not. Um, but again, so let's, let's exercise now this uh, finding the context with Ephesians. Let's answer a few of these. Um, we know in Ephesians, who wrote the book? Paul. Paul. And who, where did you find that? First verse, he addresses himself, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Right? To whom is he writing? To the Ephesians. Where did you find that? Yep, still in the first verse. To God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, right? When was it written? Again, that's, you'll need some, if you want exact times, you'll need some little, to dig a little in the background, but we know this is after Christ, right? Um, genre, we know that. It's a letter, good job. It's the epistles, the epistles are considered letters. So he writes letters to the church in hopes that then they read it in front of the church so that they could all hear. Um, and why was he writing? Again, you could either read the whole letter 
and find the main themes, or you can do some background check. Um, but Paul here, in this instance, is reminding them who they were before Christ, how they've changed in light of Christ, right? You were once dead, now you're alive by grace through faith, and now here's how you live in light of this truth, right? That's the reminder that he's giving them in this letter. Great. So now we have a little bit of context. More things that you can learn, again, for fun, so that you know. In, uh, like, you know, background information like this, we also learn that Paul was in prison when he wrote this. So that also gives you a little bit of context. So like, when he talks about joy, having joy in things, it's like, oh, wow, he's talking about this while he's in prison. It just helps you integrate things even more, like, how can a man in prison even speak these wonderful truths? So again, it helps you have greater context as you're reading it. Okay, but once we have that context, then we're going to go into step two, which is observation. Observation. In observation, we read the text that we're setting out to read in its entirety, and then we're just going to reread it a couple times and look for key phrases, because here we want to figure out just what is it saying? We want to understand. Observe and understand what is it saying. So the way that we observe and understand this is by looking for some of these uh, uh, characteristics here that we have noted. Key or repeated words and ideas, any key themes, transition words, things like therefore, but, because, if and then, likewise. I'm sure you've heard it said, whenever you see a therefore, it's therefore a reason, right? So read what's before and what's after it so that you can get the context. And he lists. Paul is, loves lists. He makes a lot of lists. Compares, comparisons and contrasts. Any commands. What is the Bible asking you to do? Any unfamiliar words. Put a little question mark on it. It's okay to not know the, the meaning of some of the words. We could look these up in a dictionary. And any questions that you have, again, it's okay to mark up your Bibles. Feel, you know, circle, highlight, like my, my Bible's all marked up. Um, don't feel like, you know, like, oh, it's gotta be perfect because it's the Bible. Marking it up, get different, like set yourself a little color code. It helps you see the patterns within scripture. And if you don't have a paper Bible, please. Tomorrow at Grace, come to the Welcome Center, and we'll hand you one, right, for free. Um, so like that, you have one to mark up, right? But, okay, so let's exercise this, this same, this same, um, this observation. Let's exercise the, the aspect of observation with the passage that we've been in. They're in Ephesians 1, 16 through 19, right? What are some things that we can observe in the passage right there. We see the Trinity is mentioned. Right, so if we see, we start there in verse 17. I keep, I keep asking that God, are the Lord of our Jesus Christ, the glorious Father. So we see there, God the Lord the Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation. So you see all three, uh, the Trinity, all three members of God mentioned within the, that passage of Scripture. 
we could put maybe a little question mark on the eyes of our hearts. Do our hearts have eyes? What does he mean by that? You know, that could be something that maybe we don't understand, that kind of figure of speech. So we put a little question mark on it so we can figure it out later. We also see he uses a lot of adjectives attached to the characteristics of God, right? His glorious grace and glorious inheritance. Um, he uses these, the, these adjectives to try to describe in human words the grandness of God and perhaps the things that we can't fully understand this side of heaven until we actually see God in person. But those are just some things that we could already start noting the passage of Scripture. And perhaps, again, maybe things that I see, you guys see other things. Um, the Holy Spirit leads us in different ways. But again, so after we've now had the context and we've observed, now we're ready to find out what does this mean? Meaning is M in coma. Again, in meaning, this is when those resources will come in handy, but there are some different things that we can do to observe and, and interpret, find out the, the, the meaning behind the text. We could read the passage and other reliable versions for better understanding. So here at Grace, we use the English Standard Version, the ESV, but you can um, then read the text in um, the NIV or the NASB, the NASB, to see how they've chosen to translate that verse. And, you know, maybe the, the word change will help you find better context and understanding. You could also uh, look up cross-references and let Scripture help you understand Scripture. So what are cross-references? Again, some Bibles have this, some don't. Don't worry, I'll show you a second option. But sometimes you see in um, the verse, it'll have like either a little number or a little random letter at the top corner of the verse. And if you look at either, sometimes it'll be at the bottom, a footer, or somewhere on the side. If you look at that corresponding letter, it gives you a list of other verses um, that you can look up for better understanding uh, of that scripture line. So maybe let's say it's a line on the Holy Spirit, right? And you look up that cross-reference, it'll give you other places in scripture that speak about the Holy Spirit. And as you read it, you get a better understanding of like, oh, this is who the Holy Spirit is. And this is why he was sent. And this is what he does. And again, you get a more holistic picture through different passages of scripture on that same topic. Um, if you don't have, again, a study Bible, or your Bible doesn't have cross-reference, something I recommend is the Blue Letter Bible, which is a resource that I've put there in your um, worksheet. It's a website that you can use, and in the same way, there's also an app if you want it on your phone. But in the same way, here I have it on my phone. I know this is tiny, but just to show you, let's say, again, I want to find a cross-reference for this verse. You just click on the verse, Click on the verse. And then it gives you, again, cross-references, even commentaries, dictionary, Bible comparisons. Gives you a bunch of little references there. So again, this is another tool to, that you can utilize if you don't have a study Bible. And it's free. Um, to continue, something else that we can do is paraphrase or summarize the passage to check for our own understanding. Can I repeat this back? Can I 
say this back in my own words. We can identify how the text reflects the meta-narrative. So again, where is this in the context of the gospel? Is it pointing back to Jesus? Is it, um, yes, is it like now we're living on this side of the gospel? Or is it, in the, if we're in the Old Testament, how is this pointing to or alluding to the Messiah? Um, and lastly, you can read trustworthy commentaries if you need further insight. So again, the study Bibles usually have commentaries at the bottom. Um, the one I'm using is Albert Moeller's Grace and Truth Study Bible. Um, so as an example, again, of a commentary, la an, an observation, I had made a little question mark, like, okay, what is this figure of speech, the eyes of our hearts enlightened, right? So Albert Moeller helps with defining that. He's saying the eyes of our hearts is referring to the ability to discern or understand spiritual realities related to the purposes of God. Right? So I'm like, okay, there you go. So then we can read it in context of that. That's just one example, again, of how we can utilize commentaries and help to help us understand and break down scripture. Any questions there on that? I know I just threw a lot of things at you. We're good? Okay. Okay, once we've narrowed down context, observation, and meaning, we're ready for the last step, application. Application, yes. We don't just want to gain knowledge of the Bible, right, and kind of know what it is and know how to challenge people on the street, but we want it to change our lives, right? As we read these truths of the Bible and of God and of Jesus and what he's done for us, we want it to change us. So this is the part where we learn then now how to respond in light of what we're reading. The key question is here is how should this passage not change me, right? And here's some, I put three basic questions to consider. What attributes of God's character are revealed in this passage, right? So usually, you know, we see God's holiness, God's grace, God's mercy, God's patience. I mean, we could go on and on on God's character, but what do, we, what do we see in the passage? What do I learn about myself in light of who God is? Usually that I fall short of all of that, right? And so how should this truth then change me? So how do I then respond? We did this earlier, again, when we, that same passage in Ephesians, when we saw Paul's example of his dependence in prayer and God for wisdom and knowledge and hope and God's power, right? We saw Paul did not depend on himself. He went and prayed, not only for himself, but he prays for the Ephesian church, prays for others. So in the same way, we're like, okay, are we praying for others in that same way? Am I doing that? Like, do I depend on God the same way that Paul is showing me here that I should be? Like, it's, again, we challenge ourselves. We kind of, we have to be honest with ourselves too before God. So then we, again, we ask ourselves how, how this should change us, these truths should change us. I want to give some fine print and remind you guys that this is just a, um, it's one method of many methods, right? Your Bible study doesn't need to look like this, but if you didn't know where to start, this is a good place, right? What I don't want to happen is that you guys are like, oh, Jenny, who has the time to break these things down in like four parts like this? Like, I don't have that, I don't have an hour 
Well, I'm going to tell you, like, I'm the first one to also fall into that false way of thinking of being like, if I don't have an hour, to, uninterrupted hour to give God, then I'm cheating him out of my time, and I might as well not do it. No. Remember, what is the purpose of reading the Word? The purpose of reading and studying the Bible is to be in relationship with and enjoy Christ, right? So even, this we could do, you could do with even, like, you pick one verse. Pick one verse Find out, see the context, observe what's in the verse, find the meaning, uh, respond to it in application and in prayer. And then then we move on to then meditation, which we'll get to in a second. But we don't want to just let this time slip because we're justifying things or because it's not going to look perfect, whatever perfect we have in our mind. Um, Remember the purpose, to be in relationship and enjoy Christ, right? We want our heartbeat and the habits of grace to match Hosea 6.3 when he says, Let us know and let us press on to know the Lord. We should read to be astonished by God and his grace, not to learn a list of do's and don'ts or check a box again. But we'll see here, lastly, then after we, we don't just want to then read and then close the Bible and be like, okay, I've done it. Thanks. Thanks, God. Thanks. You know, and just walk away and then live our lives. This is now where meditation comes in, right? Meditation, um, in the worldly sense, we, you know, we hear it thrown a lot. People use it to refer to the clearing of your mind, right? Having your mind completely blank. Um, But that's not what we mean at all by meditation when I'm using it in this context. Biblical meditation This would be your final blank there. Biblical meditation is filling your mind with God's word. It's filling your mind with God's word. So again, as you've read and you've dug deep into these passages of scripture, you now want to take it with you. Mold it over in your mind and just let it influence the rest of your life, right? For the Christian, again, it means... Having the words of Christ dwell in us richly. We see that in Colossians 3.16. We also have a great example in Joshua 1. If we would all like to turn there, please. Joshua 1, an example from the Old Testament. So Joshua is um, given command of the nation of Israel after Moses, and he is in charge now of leading them into the promised land, right? So here, that's where we're coming into now in verses six through nine. That's what we're gonna read. And we see here God give him a command. Here's how he's gonna bring these people into the promised land. He says, be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn to it from the right hand or the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success." Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Okay. 
here we see again Joshua is directed by God to be strong and courageous three times. And if we break it down, how is he to do this? How is he to be strong and courageous in leading this nation into this new promised land? The Lord gives him an answer through meditation, right? Meditate on the law day and night. And it's not, he's not just to know it. He's to be captivated by it, to build his life around its truths, right? So that he is careful to do according to all that is written in it. In the same way, God's words are the words of life that give us direction. They should shape our minds, our patterns, our affections, and equip us for any good work that the Lord has for us in the day, the weeks, in our life to come. To tie this back to my earlier story, and to give you a silly example of meditation, of how I've seen it in my own life, um, as I learned to read the Bible, I, started, I learned to start in the Gospels. Right? So I started in the book of Matthew. And um, you know, the, the ironic part of my life is that I'm a generally very anxious and fearful person, fear of man, great. Um, and yet the Lord has me stand up on here all the time and talk to people. But he challenges me that in that very often. And um, as I was reading through the Gospels in the book of Matthew, um, of course, Matthew 6, uh, the passage on anxiety, for, uh, always st stuck out to me. It ingrained itself in my mind once I read it. Um, and uh, in verses 26 and 27 specifically, I'll note this. He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your father, your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Well, again, I read that. I was like, oh, okay, yeah, you're right. My anxiety is like not going to help me live longer. Um, uh, and then, you know, I went out to brunch. And at brunch, I'm watching the birds pick fr fries from other people's plates. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's the Lord providing for the bird. Like, that's the scripture that I just read. And it, it caused me to pause and reflect. I'm like, okay, if the Lord is providing for that bird, which he says is of lesser value than us, then, you know, there's always something I'm freaking out about inside. I'm like, then why am I freaking out about X, Y, Z? And in that moment... I was able to recall the scripture and it lead me back to repentance and tr the truth of God, right? Um, in the same way, like our minds should be saturated by the word of God, that we see it everywhere and it influences everything. Again, with the bird, the bird costs nothing, right? And the Lord provides for it. Yet us, it costs Jesus, his son on the cross. So how much of more value. What, like, what, do I, what do we have to be afraid? of? Not, nothing. In Christ, not even of death itself. So again, prayer that, or meditation then is the act where we can pause and reflect over the words of God that we've studied. And it should his truth should then change how we respond, not only in life, but then how we respond then back to him in prayer, which is what we'll be getting into in two weeks from now.